We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Sanders gets it left side. Big room and a touchdown for Sanders. His second. Throws to Ooh. the end zone. Touchdown. Adam Thielen makes the catch. Throws over the middle. It's caught by the former Raven. Hayden Hurst reaches for the goal line. In for the touchdown. Deep one. End zone. Caught. Touchdown. DJ Chark, the over-the-shoulder grab. And now Brady under pressure, and he's brought down. Back at the 27-yard line by Brian Burns. And it's picked. J.C. Horn. Panthers have it, and will score. It's taken into the end zone by Jeremy Chin. Bryce Young, off play action. Deep ball into the end zone. Oh, what a throw on the money for the touchdown. Yeah, it's time to do a podcast, y'all. It's the mailbag edition of the Royal Podcast, brought to you by our friends at prizepicks.com. Check them out. More on them later. I'm your host, John Ellis. Billy Marshall's back this week. Fear not, my friends, because it's mailbag time. We, we got questions, and you guys delivered. I'm telling you, there were some fun ones. There's a couple that made me almost, you know, do a spit take with my water before I went on my radio show this afternoon from the Cat Scratch Reader. <laughs> Look, we're all in this together. That's the great thing about it. You know, there, there are fans of this team. I, I know some of them well that, that are just not fun to be around ever. And they have long since been banished from my Twitter community because they took it personal. But y'all have been with me and, and even Billy for, for every step along this journey. And I just wanted to say a few words before we dive into it and give you just a pulse check on where I am with the team right now. First of all, uh, Frank Reich did uh, speak with the media today. I will be up there later this week to, uh, you know, have an opportunity to talk to maybe Thomas Brown and Ajiro Evero and even uh, Coach Reich. And I'll be there covering the game for 99.7 The Fox live from Bank of America Stadium. You can hear that, of course, uh, anywhere it's available. But it's it's going to be a big time um, game the, the, the game itself is huge because every game in the NFL is huge. Who am I talking to here? You guys have been following this team. But let's not ignore the elephant in the room. Okay? I hate diving into this because I like to t- – it's not that I'm contrarian. I I just don't like to be the guy that's like, well, here you go. It's a big shootout between C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, and this will determine it all. <sighs> Tamper your emotions down a little bit on that one, okay? It's These guys are both rookies. Stroud has played out of his mind so far. Young has acquitted himself nicely of late. 
and let's just maybe look at it a little differently. If your team does lose this week, whichever one it is, uh, it won't be the end of your world, I promise, because I firmly believe, and this gets right into what I want to talk about at the top of the show here, I firmly believe, not even believe, I have come to the conclusion based on my years of not just following this franchise long before this owner was a part of it, long before many of your friends out there, and and you are my friends out there, listeners, colleagues, y'all were in different markets. Doesn't mean much because I know it was a different owner, different time, but there's a certain essence to those who've been around here for a long time that remember a certain way of playing football that was synonymous with the Panthers. And and it was tough defense every step along the way, even in the lean years. We can do the full history on it if you want to. They had linebackers. They had run-stopping ability. They had depth, enough to at least compete. And so I want to take a minute to just take you down memory lane Not to make you feel better or worse, not to sell you on anything, because the rest of the media, what they're doing, this Stroud versus Young. This is it. This is the referendum of a lifetime. (laughs) Whoever wins this game is crowned the champ. And oh, if you lose, especially if you're five foot eleven, oh, you're cooked. It's just embarrassing. If for fans to be doing it, fine. But if you're getting paid to talk into a mic or write stuff. I'm not talking about you, Mike K, not you, Joe Person, not you, Sheena Quick, not you, none of my colleagues. No, it's the national narrative. It's these idiots, these morons. They're not necessarily morons. Some of them make a lot of money, but they follow a formulaic way of doing business where, okay, here's some low-hanging fruit that'll really get people fired up. My thing is, who are these people that watch these stupid shows? Stupid shows. With no sense of self-deprecation, it's all just verbal warfare combat crap. And I heard one of these shows today, and I'm not going to mention the show. It's prominent. They make a lot of money. They they build a lot of advertising, and it's just the same recycled content. And is Bryce Young a bust? Is he a must? Is well, this game decided he's a must? Because we're resting for as if there's not enough content to talk about. Look at the NFL. Look around you. Look around the Carolina Panthers landscape. Look back to 1995, if you remember. I do. Oh, I do. I'm going to brag for a minute. In my Panthers starter jacket. Oh, I have one of those. I had one from Belks, too. There was a Nike one. It was, oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. I, I wanted to go as Dom Capers for Halloween. I couldn't find a damn wig that would work. Dom, I love you, baby. Dom knows I'm I'm right there on Team Dom all along. But I'm telling you something. There were some lean years. It wasn't all fairy tales. As you sometimes hear, the, the team will put together very, very well done vignettes in production. And, and they should. It's the team. They should self-promote. <laughs> That's what they do. They're not going to show a highlight reel of the the 2007 Panthers crap in their pants in the season. How about here and come Anish Roth here. Anish Roth, come up next. Uh, we're going to give you the 2006 Panthers December version when they got boat raced by the Steelers and Giants at home. I've been to all of them. <laughs> I have people DMing me telling me to stop being so optimistic. You're, you're, you're sticking up for the team. 
Give me a goddamn break. You guys, most of you, came to my doorstep in 2020 when I started this one Panther Place nonsense in 2019. And a few of you thought it was pretty cool because I showed a few highlights. We talked some ball. Actually took got myself a nice camera, went out there and took pictures uncredentialed. I built myself a little bit of a mini empire. Didn't take me seven years. But no, when Matt Rule was hired, I'll never forget some of y'all. I've forgiven you, but I'll never forget this man, the vitriol. You gotta support this team, Alice. Okay? Just give just give him some time, man. Let him learn. Let him learn? Let him learn? <laughs> He's uh, laughing all the way to the bank. Like David Tepper wanted to do something a little unique. He had an idea. It was a bold move. I don't disrespect him for that. But I'm sure as hell not going to stand uh, idly by, as Frank Reich said about the owner himself, and allow a franchise that I, I would suspect means a lot more to me and folks in my family than anybody in any ownership group anywhere. Anywhere, except for the bottom line. That's not the question, Mr. Tepper. Or Mrs. Tepper. But we're all adults here. So don't tell me, to, you know, God almighty, you're jumping down my throat now because I don't want to fire Frank Reich. I'm getting that a lot. It's Fitterer. Oh, you're just friendly with Fitterer. What the? No, I'm not. I've met the guy like three times. Friendly guy. I knew him from a friend at Clemson. Darian Rencher, we met up at camp and we connected. And it's it, you do this in this business. He hasn't performed at a high enough level for me to say, yeah, he gets a free pass for 20 years. He knows that. He doesn't need me on here hiring or firing him or saving his job. And I'm telling you right now, there is this sentiment growing. And I bring up 1995 for a reason. This sentiment continues to brew, and it, you you start to pick up. On, on the, the cacophony of, of reports and those you trust. I'm not going to tell you who to trust, who not, but anybody that's got a badge that's in there with me that I'm honored to be sharing rooms with, the press row, wherever it might be, at Panthers uh, Media workroom down there, wherever it might be, I respect each of them and wouldn't dare suggest to, to ignore their reports or speculation. We're in the evaluation and opinion business as much as we are the reporting business. The whole conversation right now is, number one, will the Panthers be trading for a wide receiver before the trade deadline? I'll give you some thoughts on that shortly. Number two, will they be trading Brian Burns? I'll give you some thoughts on that later on. Number three, will David Tepper do something to intervene to make this happen? That's where I can't honestly tell you I know. I could infer. I can go with people around the league that seem to think that there's a tremendous amount of meddling going on. And then I can go back and pull up conversations I've had with people who have worked for the man that have no axe to grind or no reason to kiss his ass that would suggest, no, it doesn't really work that way with him. He's involved, but he's given Scott freedom and carte blanche to run the thing. You'll drive yourself nuts worrying about it. Gets back to my original point about 1995. The team was 0-5 when the New York Jets, Rich Kotite, and Bubby Brister came to town. I had been a couple of their losses before at Clemson. I saw them get beat by Sam Weish's, God rest his soul, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I believe they lost the Rams, too. They beat the Jets that day. It was a 4 p.m. kickoff. The sun was setting 
West End Zone of Death Valley. I'll never forget it. And I don't get emotional, but it was one of the just happiest moments of my teenage years. I had my dad with me, my brother James. That's everything. Right in my backyard at Clemson. An NFL team just beat the legendary Jets, even though the Jets were stinky back then. They were the Jets. This is so cool. We're going to be like fans for life. And I know you guys, so many of you have stories like that, even better stories. That team rallied from 0-5, and, and they ended up 7-9. and They had a big win late in the year against the Falcons, who were playoff bound. They beat Jim Harbaugh and the Colts. They beat the 49ers on the road. The next year, they go to the NFC Championship game. They had one of the best second-half defenses in NFL history. Coming out of halftime, you couldn't do a damn thing against Dom's defense. Vic Fangio was a defensive coordinator, by the way. Kevin Green, Lamar Lathan, Greg Cragen, Bubba McDowell, Tyrone Poole. Yeah, Mike Barrow came along later in those years. They had guys. They had defense. They had a system. They had enough to win games in this league. And then they had enough to compete for a championship. And things can really go off the rails fast. And for a lot of reasons, none were malicious, but Bill Polian moves on, general manager of the Panthers back then. But Polian moves on, and the contracts start to get murky, and the leadership gets a little soft up there in in the front office, and Jerry, look, this is the same thing we talk about with Dave Tepper, with the Haslams, with the Pagulas when they started. The same is true for David Tepper. The same was true for Jerry Richardson. It takes owners a while to learn how to own. There's the famous words of the great Pat Kerwin. If you don't know who he is, Google him, and then go find him and listen to him. He's been around more than any of us, and it's the damn truth. So Jerry had to figure out a little bit, and he had some family dynamics too that complicated things long-term. But Jerry Richardson was not a perfect man. But he, he, at the core of it, he understood the value of eventually finding football people and trying to steer out of the way. He tried his hand at what was his version of the, the Matt Rule gamble was George Seifert. Now, George brought some fun times in year one, not that Luther brought him. <laughs> We've talked to Luther. Luther doesn't like George Seifert. He played for him. He don't like George. <laughs> George, George is a little bit of a jerk. But, but George had some good assistants. One of them was Gil Haskell. Gil put Steve Berline in the damn Pro Bowl. That offense with Pat Jeffers, Donald Hayes, 1999. This is Basin Muhammad's third year. He came into his own. They had Tim Biakabatuka. They had Fred Lane. The defense was not very good that year, but they still had closers. They brought Kevin Green back for one year. They, they, they did not have the pieces they used to. The great Sam Mills, by that point, had retired. And would eventually become an assistant coach for the team. And the foundational piece of the legacy that uh, remains keep pounding. Even in that season where there was no defense, you had moments where both sides of the ball complemented one another. George Seifert did that. And they were like five net points away in that wild week 17 from going to the playoffs. Next year, they bring in Reggie White, Eric Swan, Chuck Smith, and, and they, they decide to just get crazy, and the offensive line gets neglected, ignored. Gil Haskell leaves for Seattle. The offense falls apart. A year later, they go 1-15. But they drafted well. And then comes John Fox, okay? And this is all I'm going to say about the past. I'm not going to bore you with this. I'm just giving you a little perspective. 
John Fox came in. I've talked to guys like Deshaun Foster. I've talked to Brinson Buckner. The guys like Anish Shroff, who has been working very closely with the entire 03 Panthers team with this great podcast they're doing called Cardiac. Go find that. Bill Rosinski, we've had him on a number of times. He was the voice of the Panthers. He knew as much as anybody about the dynamics of what was going on. They, they basically brought John Fox in to bust some balls and to say, this is unacceptable. I'm a New York Giants defensive coordinator. I'm with Michael Strahan and Jesse Armstead. And we're big blue, and this is not going to work down here, 1-15. in 15. But in a relatable, next-door neighbor type of way, he sold the guys that were there from the old regime, the old heads. Not the old heads necessarily in age, but the guys who could carry the torch. They had some guys. Brinson Buckner, I mentioned. They had a Mike Rucker. They had guys in that building already, like a Mike Minter from Nebraska, who is now the coach at Campbell College. And I know that guy well, too, and he is a dog, let me tell you. And I mean that in a, in a sense. He, he, you talk about the all-time who's got that dog in him for the Panthers, that'd be Mike Minner. Dan Morgan they had drafted. Oh, yeah, George Seifert on the way had drafted Steve Smith, third round. A lot of people passed on him, including the Panthers twice. <laughs> but you use fuel where you can. John Fox came in and saw what he had. And John Fox simplified. He said, you know what? It's going to be hard. And this is not what he's told me. This is my own observations in real time in 2002. This team has been a vertical, five-wide mess of an offense that continues to do what they tried to do in 1999 without all the parts they used to have. And Chris Winkie's taking 50 sacks and throwing 30 picks. John Fox comes in and says, you know what, I'm bringing Dan Henning with me. Dan Henning was an assistant with Bill Parcells. We're going to play a little bully ball. We're going to get in there and get some Brad Hoover, this kid from Western Carolina. We think he can block. You know, we, we don't have a lot of money to spend in free agency. Are we going to get to Lamar Smith from Miami? He's a good player. Yeah, we'll bring him in. Maybe next year we can save a little on the cap and go get a big dog. We've already got Steve Smith. We don't know what he is yet, but he's a pretty good returner. Got Masin Muhammad. He's coming into his own as a thousand yard receiver. We've got Wesley Walls for one more year. And the Panthers, right out of the gate, was at this game too. They beat Baltimore. They were underdogs. Baltimore was a defending division champ. Two years prior, they were the world champs. Ray Lewis was playing in that game, as were many others from that great, great dynasty. Brian Billick was the coach. The last play of the game, it was uh, a combination of. Dan Morgan and the number one pick from that season for the Panthers, Julius Peppers at the end in a 10-7 final. It didn't have to be flashy. It didn't have to be fantasy football friendly. It was a win, and it fit the profile exactly of what he wanted. I think John Fox would love to have 45-7 wins, but the fact that it was 10-7, it it felt like, okay, you know, there's something here that feels kind of cool. Now, Buyer beware. Then they go and do, you know, the next week, and they just boat race the heck out of the Detroit Lions, which they were bad at that point. Pouring rain, Bank of America Stadium, then Erickson Stadium. Never forget that game. And then the next week, they go to Minnesota, which is a really hard place to play whenever you play there, and they win that game. They're 3-0. and They go to Lambeau Field the next week. They're going to be 4-0, and and Shane Graham, who's kicking in place of the injured John Casey, misses a chip shot, and they lose at the end of the game. And then they go to Dallas, and they lose on a Quincy Carter touchdown at the end of the game. And then they host the then-to-be-world-champion uh, Buccaneers. 
and Martin Gramatica makes a field goal to beat them by a point or two. And then Michael Vick shows up and puts up like 71 points on them. Carolina got shut on both games. They were 3-8 and eight before you could turn around. And yes, there was no social media, but there was sure as hell sports talk, and there were sure as hell message boards, and there was a lot of the same conversations we're having right now. Fire this bum. Fire this guy. He sucks. I think people get too sensitive to other people's narratives. It's, this is just part of the business. People are going to call shows and go on message boards and go on Reddit and go on Twitter. And I'm a big boy, and I've seen some of the wonderful things you guys have said about me sincerely, and I appreciate that. And I've seen some really awful shit, too. <laughs> just rancid. When I had the gall to say, Teddy Bridgewater, are you kidding me? <laughs> Screw this. Matt Rowe, come on now. Boy, I got some hate. But I just kept plugging along. It ain't about me. It's about the fact that you guys deserve to feel something like positive. It's Screw the process. Screw Bryce Young's development. I know That's all something that people well above our pay grade are paid handsomely to take care of. I know there's no wins on the column, and that makes you believe that everything else has gone to shit. If you look at the film, it hasn't. It's, Bryce is right on cue with where he should be right now. He's got Adam Thielen, and that's about it. The offensive line has been bad, very bad. It's gotten a little better, but it's been bad. Miles Sanders, got to stop fumbling. What, 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 what's, what's that signing? What, this is where people want Scott's head on a platter, and it's not going to happen, but just I'm not going to tell you how to fan. That's our whole thing here, but I will say this. The reaction to the reaction is almost worse than the actual reactions out there. It's the NFL. Panthers started 3-8, and eight, as I said, John Fox's first year. Then they start chipping away a little bit. And nobody expected them to go to Cleveland in December. You laugh now. It was Tim Couch. Yeah, they were playoff bound. And Emmanuel McDaniel picked off Tim Couch at the end to win uh, a gritty game. They had Rodney Pete at quarterback, barely surviving at that point. And they had uh, D. Brown at running back. Uh, guys were on IR, and they went in and beat a playoff team. That's a big deal. Come back home. They boat race Chicago. They put up, I think, the week before, and since the, the Bengals came to town and Dick LeBeau was the coach, they put up like 55 points. Steve Smith had two punt returns. It's like, okay, this is kind of fun now. They had that little eight-game stretch of winning. Look, look, you lose eight games in a row. That takes a, a, a lot going against you for that to happen. These weren't Matt Rule wins or losses where it's like, oh, 17 points. These were heartbreaking, gut-wrenching battles that they lost, and they had to figure out how to turn that thing. And the last game of the year, New Orleans, who has, uh, you know, look, they, I would suggest to you that in the heyday, that was probably Carolina's most heated rival. Maybe Atlanta when they were relevant, but New Orleans ran their mouth, all, no matter who was there. A lot of stuff. Joe Horn, J.C.'s dad, love him. But back in the day, he was, he was talking, and they listened. Panthers, listen, they came into that stadium with a chance for nothing more than to knock the Saints out of the playoffs. You win that game, you knock them right out. They go in there. Aaron Brooks is the quarterback. Joe Horn's the receiver. They hit him in the mouth. That Panthers defense that year, the team finished 7-9. to nine. They were number two in the NFL in total yardage. Jack Del Rio was the defensive coordinator. Get players in there like Chris Jenkins, Brinson Buckner. You had uh, Julius Peppers, Mike Rucker on the front line. You brought in Al Wallace who now covers the team for 
Fox and Charlotte. And then I got to talk to Al the other night when we were covering the game together a couple weeks ago. And it's for just a surreal feeling talking about Al in his heyday. And then he and I are chatting about what we're seeing on the field. And, and it's great. It's great. Just information. Other guys like Dan Morgan on that team. And we talked about it, Mark Fields. Um, just just dudes, man. Just veterans. Just guys that you could count on. And they won that game, and what that led to, nothing was guaranteed. Fox would be the first to tell you, because he came in there the year before and cut half of them. Said, if you're not tough enough to play in this league, you're out. And he got rid of a lot of those guys. And they turned it over again. And they came in, and look, say what you want about Marty Herney. Y'all wanted Marty fired. You wanted Dave Gettleman fired. You wanted Marty Herney fired again, and then again the third time. And then you, you, you wanted Matt Rule. You, you, you talked yourself into it, some of you, and then you wanted him fired. And he fired Joe Brady, and then you really wanted him fired. And Scott's just the latest on the platter. I mean, if you're not making all the moves right now you need to make, you're, you're, you're bait for it. We get it. But Marty did make some smart moves that year. And, and John was a part of that, too, when they brought in Jake DeLum. Now, there was no guarantee that was going to work, but it's some pretty good scouting to know that, hey, within the structure of the Dan Henning system, he could operate. A lot of that is what we, we just avoid and ignore in this business because it's not convenient to the narratives. So much of what you see is where you land and how you land and how that fits you. And had C.J. Stroud landed somewhere else, maybe it's different, but who gives a crap? For Jake, it worked out beautifully. Rodney Pete was going to be the starter that year. He did start the first game. He was terrible. They pulled him. Jake came in, played a little bit like Gardner Minshew, threw a couple picks. They did sign Stephen Davis that preseason. They signed Ricky Prohl as well. So you had Prohl, a veteran slot guy, like an Adam Thielen type, <laughs> to the mix, and he was tremendous. He was a clutch player who just won the NFC Championship with a one-handed catch. So many clutch moments, and I'm seeing Ricky Prohl on the field. I'm like, this is okay. Now, they've got something here. They've added the, the, the character component to the talent component. Now you've got a 1,400-yard back who can actually bowl people over. you got this kid, Deshaun Foster, from UCLA from the draft. He's got hurt his first year, but damn, he's back now. Defensively, you, you're, you're locked and loaded. You've got the best front four in football at the moment. Took some close wins to get it done, but they won 12 games. They went all the way to the Super Bowl and lost to Tom Brady in the last 30 seconds. That happened two Years after John Fox walked into that building with an offer and nothing more. With a paycheck, sure. With one of 32 of these jobs. There's been a lot of conversation about Frank Reich. And I'm not going to do a referendum on Coach Reich. I'm not interested in that at all. My stance on this, it's unwavering. Whomever they hired... Gets my full attention for 24 months, unless he's Urban Meyer and just completely sabotages the whole deal. 24 months. 0-6 does not change that for me. 0-6 makes it harder for you guys and for people in my house, like my kids who love the team and some of the dear friends that I've made for years around the organization. Yeah, I hate seeing them lose, but it's not my job to cheer for them. It's my job to provide analysis and perspective, most of all. And I'm nothing to you guys if I can't take a little walk down memory lane to remind you how bleak it's been and how bad it's been in some moments. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, you go off the field, off the field bad. Uh, you know, people's lives being lost bad. You do a little research. I don't want to promote that on this show. Bad moments. Bad moments. This 
can be what you want it to be, what they're experiencing now. I, I'm not turning this into a TED Talk, but to me, it's an opportunity to look at more film and to see how he's progressing. It's a hobby. It's turned into a career. I thoroughly enjoy it. I would be stir-crazy without it. I guarantee, And that's why I relate to fans that are just in it to win it. And I've got a stake in this game, too, because, you know, like I said, my kids love the team. And since the owner has taken over this team, whether coincidence or not, they have not had a winning season. You guys keep pouring your heart and your money and time and effort into this franchise. And the least they could give you, and your perspectives, I get it, is one win. Um, a, a one win against Texans team coming into town, is that going to satisfy everything? No, it's not. But I, I, there's this morbidity out there right now that should have existed, honestly, at a much higher rate early in the rat rule tenure because I was watching a sinking ship. I was watching what was going to be, somebody's going to have to come in here and fix this. Steve Wilkes kind of did. And Wilkes, you can argue, should have had this job right now. And you wouldn't have an argument from me. I'm not a not big proponent of going back and saying, I told you so. But, you know, I, I was pretty steadfast about Wilkes all along. And there were detractors saying, oh, you need an offensive coach, offensive. Well, maybe they hired the wrong offensive coach. Maybe we just all should just, I don't know, marinate for a minute. Six games is a lot, I know. They could be 0-12 before you turn around. We're not there yet. That's the beauty of the season. Y'all think that way? That's cool. I, I, I won't survive that way. If I'm looking at the schedule ahead and say, oh, now you got Dallas after and look at the Bears are better now. Look at what happened yesterday in the NFL, yesterday in the league. And I know it feels like you're the only ones without a seat at the party. Frankly, you are. Your team is winless. You are what you are, man. It's not your fault, but own it or don't. But get out of my DMs. (laughs) Let's go to the mailbag. Oh, boy. It's brought to you by Price Picks. Uh, check out our friends at Price Picks today. I've got the app right here. And I'm going to tell you something. You go to Price Picks, they can double your money today. You've got so many features within this app. Tap it on. You can see what's going on. Again, Monday Night Football on tonight's the Vikings and, oh, the 49ers. Oof. So I'm going to do my more or less picks here later in the show. But uh, more on Price Picks later. Check them out at pricepicks.com. So the mailbag is here. Billy Marshall and I are back together soon, probably this week. Again, uh, we work for a living, too. This is uh, what we do to try to make uh, you guys and us sane through these times. All right. So the Roar Mailbag is open. Let's go to the... (laughs) That's all right. The first one Uh, from at Cat Scratch Reader. And I'm going to their homepage that I often do, SB Nation's own affiliate. And it's a picture of Scott Fitterer. On the banner with the laser eyes, of course, I'm sure, in jest. And Cat Scratch Reader writes the following. When does the pain stop? Cat <laughs> um, Scratch Reader family, I, I will say this. I love your work. I always have. You guys have been uh, brutal with me before, I think, or one of your guys was. Maybe it was Billy. I don't know. Billy's a real jerk when I met him. <laughs> I'm kidding. Billy and I tussled over Kyle Allen, and then we realized life was too short. Cat Scratch Reader wants to know, when does the pain stop? Um, well, four out of five doctors do say that the pain stops when the winning starts. 
I, it's really that simple. I mean, look, it depends on what what pains you right now. As a fan, not every fan is created equal, but there are echo chambers and there are you know people that influence fans. I'd like to think that they give you information, but I'm not interested in influencing your fandom. When does the pain stop? I don't know. For me, I, I look back at some of the lean years when I was a fan. I mentioned 2001. That felt bad. And I tell you what, what worried me too was similar to what you guys are dealing with now. Do we really have an owner that could do it? I'm not suggesting he can or cannot. I'm not playing that game. Okay. Don't put me down that trap. <laughs> I've, been, I've been a good boy. <laughs> Stay a good boy. But yeah. David Tepper probably wants to start having some winning seasons at some point. I would imagine that's when the pain stops for him. Maybe he's not feeling the pain. Got Charlotte FC in the playoffs. I don't care about that so much. But congratulations. When does the pain stop? It stopped for me when I realized, you're going to laugh at me, when Jerry Richardson was kicking around the idea after he fired George Seifert. I heard a report from, I think it was Mortensen or John Clayton, saying that and George Severs been fired, and uh, there is speculation now that Steve Spurrier could be, and I, I went, what the fuck? <laughs> I was incensed. And there were some people excited about it, too. And this is the same instinct I had with Rule. It was just like, no, 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 this is not what we did. No, 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 no. Get somebody that's just rock solid. Go get somebody's offensive line coach. I don't give a shit. Do not bring George back. I literally said that. Bring Seifert back. I would have taken Seifert over fucking Spurrier any day. That's no knock on him, but we saw how it played out, did we not? That's why you listen to the roar, because you know your Uncle Johnny here has got a little bit of... He's been through the rodeo a few times. When they hired John Fox, and his name was brought up several times... His first impression that he made was, look, he's a meathead. He came in, his tie was too tight. He, he looked like, you know, like, <laughs> he looked like what he was, the burned-out safety who was now coaching. Look at the Al Bundy type of guy. Nick Sirianni, reminded me a lot of Nick Sirianni, kind of a different version of him, but kind of had that, you know, oh, I don't care how I sound, it's one of the guys. But, man, that, that, the lasting memory, the pain stop for me is when they, when they drafted Julius Peppers and I could see how special he was going to be. And that win I talked about, the week one win, after losing 15 straight, they get a win opening day, beautiful day in Charlotte, at home, stadium louder than I'd heard and seen it probably since 96. And John Fox is being picked up by Jack Del Rio celebrating. And Julius Peppers is running down the field with the ball as the game comes to a conclusion, and it's the Baltimore friggin' Ravens with Ray Lewis and company on the field. After 15 losses in a row, and before that, after experiencing 1998, where they lost, what, they, they were 4-12? and 12? Luther Broughton, my buddy, played on that team and said, man, that was a tough go. Gee, I was kid, the late great Kevin Green was in the fight with, uh, with Kevin Steele on the sidelines. The Fred Lane style, I mean, just all of it. And it was like, man, we've got a guy that comes from a respectable tree of coaches. He was a Chuck Knoll assistant. He was a guy that worked for Jim Fossil. He's been to the Super Bowl. You go through the eight losses that season, you're like, oh, God, he's kind of a dope. He's kind of just a meathead. He's going to run the ball 45 times. It's, it wouldn't survive in today's game. But I love the strategy that your offense, you knew you had some serious limitations. You had Rodney Pete and a bad offensive line at that point. Take the air to the ball, run it. Grind the clock, give your defense a chance to stay in it, and, and pick up some wins and confidence. That's when the pain stopped for a young John Ellis. 
And and then I had true belief because you could see it. Sort of like you saw it with Steve Wilkes last year. Y'all got to taste playoff closeness for the first time in in more than a half a decade. I don't care what the records were. The whole point is to get to December within your structure and be well positioned to make a push. Somehow they got there and they damn near pulled it off with Sam Darnold and, and Dante Foreman and a cast of misfits from others who have now found new homes themselves. Um, when does the pain stop? The pain stops when the winning starts. And I'm not talking about instant winning. It, it, look, it, if you want my advice, which you might not, you might do, I don't know. My advice is stop spending too much of your time on what's going on with Shane Steichen and Anthony Richardson and what's going on with Stroud. Admire it. Respect it. That's my, it's my advice. It's I, certainly Panthers fans. You're welcome to use that as all the ammo you need because I've been there before, where you passed up on somebody you thought he was going to be absolutely just next level special. Now we can have a conversation about Stroud and Young. I'm interested in doing that in about 24 months. Just look at look at the history of Carson Wentz. Look at the history of other guys who weren't great at first and they developed in. Great start for this great quarterback, but the pain cat scratch reader stopped for me when the Panthers got rid of George Seifert and they didn't hire Steve Spurrier. That, that was, the minute they didn't hire Spurrier, it's like, oh. and then he, John Fox beat him in 03. That was a, that was a game where Steve Smith caught a ball from DeLome. It was a hero ball, the king of hero balls. Down the sideline, y'all remember this, and my good buddy Matt Bowen from ESPN was on our show and told us about the day he broke his arm on that play where Smith floated in the air for like three seconds, caught the ball, and then they ran in the end zone when the Stephen Davis fumble wasn't a fumble. Cardiac Cats type of win, but Bowen said that, that Steve Smith guy, he was next level. He was just everything about him would break in half. Yeah, uh, they made the right hire there, and John Fox had some success in Denver as well and uh, is now, by the way, he's with Dan Campbell in the Detroit Lions. <laughs> I saw him in the press box. <laughs> Looks good. Still kicking around. All right, this is for our buddy uh, F. Ted, actually. Uh, he's an author, and he's always uh, good for a good question or two. Do you believe Tepper put any pressure on Frank Reich to make the play caller decision? No. I don't think he did. I, I'm not ruling that out. And this is this turns into a soap opera type of pivot, like, ooh, here comes the sound effect. And dun-dun-dun, I will report that David Tepper did put I don't know. He owns the team, maybe. But here's the thing, and Ted, it's not a bad question. It's fair given the the tenor of the team. This was something Frank has been talking about for months. And I have yet to find anything to suggest that Frank is nothing but pretty direct with those he can be. Every coach is going to have to fib to the media, even the ones that try their hardest not to. You talk to enough people that knew Frank Reich from over the years, especially guys that, that had been with the organization here that have gotten to know in the radio side, the trainer side, just guys that are well-connected that know Frank, and they know the NFL game. They knew that, look, there's no perfection as a head coach, but they felt like this was more than just a cute homecoming. Um, and and the staffing element, look, it's not to say that Frank came in, from my understanding, had a binder with all those names on it. There were some input pieces there from scott dan i'm sure david tepper was a part of that and i I hate to say it but that's just something that's gonna have to 
to to get to get right with you, and you're going to have to get right with it. I, I I know I sound like a prick when I said that. I do. Oh, I sounded like his agent. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not that fan. I'm not. You get on board, David Tepper. You get out. Remember that first game? He was the owner. Cowboys game. He was tailgating. God bless him, man. He looked good out there. He was celebrating. They had something called Tepper's Army. Man, look, you got to win in this league. Nobody's immune to it. Dave wants to win, but I don't think Ted. The, the, the bigger question here is. To me, what does the offense look like, and how much does it deviate and change? And the, I, there's been this narrative that, well, what's Frank going to do now? My son said that, Andrew. Why do you even have Frank? I was like, well, I don't know. He, Ron Rivera did. He didn't call all the plays. John Fox didn't call any plays. Gives Frank a chance to do what the, I think the plan was all along. I'm getting up there in years. I've got a young, bright guy coming in. Hand over the reins. Probably not that simple for Frank. I'll be honest with you. He loves doing it. It's important to him. It gives him purpose. But Frank is a guy that, if you know anything about him, he's a man of pretty strong conviction, and he's a man that will find purpose somewhere else other than the dinner menu on his on his game day. If this can work, it, it's a masterstroke by by Frank to bring uh, – if, if he brought him in, I mean, it was David Tepper's money that brought Thomas Brown. If it's a masterstroke of a timing decision – to make it happen during the bye week, uh, it was not connected with the bye week in any way. That it was some sort of shakeup by the owner. That's not the information that I have. It's not information that was fed to me. Typically, when I hear something that's askew, I you you read my tea leaves and you know what's up. Nothing has been askew lately. We're good. Ted's got another question. I'll hog up the mailbag. What schematic changes do you anticipate from Thomas Brown taking over the offense? Um. Well, you get your systems in place and. You know, Frank's, you learn a little bit about his offense. There's some elements of the West Coast, you know, Doug Peterson, Andy Reid stuff to it. Uh, they don't live in the vertical land of milk and honey. That's not the, the Air Coriel system. Uh, the enemy doing some of the same stuff with Washington right now. They got to find a way to keep Sam Howe from getting sacked 100 times. But back to your point, they do come from different philosophies, but they obviously are... <laughs> This is not an arranged marriage. Frank is a facilitator. Okay? So what you experienced the past few years, I'm sorry to keep harping on this, but it's important. Matt Rule was a very difficult, demanding person to work with and for. He was. Not just football people, but people in social media, but the whole building. Uh, I've had enough people that I know tell me that directly, so deny it if you want. It's fine. Good luck in Nebraska. But it's not to, 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 to give Frank an excuse. It's not to linger with the Matt Rule stuff. There's a little bit of cleanup here. Clean up on aisle four. Matt Rule just came in for two and a half years and bought all the groceries. They're just a, they're, they're six months off the Cam Irving experience. They still have guys on their cap hit that, that were, yeah, what are you going to do? But here's the thing about Thomas Brown. Tempo. I, I would suspect that since he's decided, he told us in the presser the other day, he's going to stay on the field and call the plays. I don't have too strong an opinion one way or another about that. If you can see the field better from the booth, go for it. That's not, he, he, you cannot do that to Thomas Brown. He is meant to be right there, front and center, and that's what Bryce needs. And Bryce doesn't need a lot of it, but he needs more than Josh McCown. And there was that moment there that, Billy had asked me this too. Hey, when you're at the games, get an eye from the booth of like where Bryce is on the bench and who's spending more time with him. And a lot of it's been Josh McCown. And I think the world of him. 
but it it felt kind of like, man, there's a lot of cooks here. You've got Frank Papa Bear there with the dinner menu, and they're 0-3, 0-4, and the Papa ain't cooking. And you got Thomas Brown there um, with a lot of energy and a lot of piss and vinegar and a lot of interest around the league. It's a leverage game, folks. It's a business. Don't pretend like this is all, oh, it's just this wonderful, just uh, d- charitable effort by Frank Reich. It's a business. They're all making money, but Frank is not a notorious bullshitter and liar. He's not. I'm sorry I used that word Frank yet, <laughs> but he's not. The last guy was, and it's fine. It works in college, but here you lose people pretty damn fast when it happens that way. You fire Joe Brady the back end of a bye week. That's a bad look, man. Bad look. You end up with Ben McAdoo, but Ben McAdoo doesn't do jack crap until Steve Wilkes is head coach. Steve came in. I swear to God, Steve came in that day from people I've talked to, and it, it just it was all right. Look, get get all this shit off the wall, metaphorically speaking, but maybe not. It's we're getting it back to where we should be. This was great. It's Panther pride. It's keep pounding. This is what we do. I'm not saying that magically transferred them to wins, but I'll be damned if two weeks later they didn't beat Tom Brady. I'd be damned if they didn't beat Dan Campbell to a living pulp. Oh, yeah, they, they beat Seattle on the road, that playoff team. It matters. And it's so difficult because I think a lot of the fans have gotten on me about it because I set a bar high for this staff. Everybody did. We all thought this staff was going to be an instant success in so much that they would not be 0-6. Now, if you're the lone Panther skeptic fan out there, and I'm proud of you, by the way, if you are, if you had 0-6 on your bingo card, if you're looking at that schedule, if you were just convicted that it was going to happen that way, please write into the podcast or come co-host it with me because we might have fun. Nobody saw that. Hey, thanks for listening to the Roar Podcast. It's your friend John Ellis here for Prize Picks. It's the most fun you'll have winning up to 25 times your money this football season. I've got the app open right now. I'll tell you my picks in a minute for Monday Night Football. Testing your skills on Prize Picks this football season is the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you got the skills, you can turn 10 bucks to $250 with just a few taps. Really simple to play, folks. I make my picks, submit them in less than 60 seconds. You could do it faster, I'm sure. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, enormous selection of players and stat types are what make Price Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. This week on Price Picks, here are my picks du jour. Kirk Cousins will throw for more than 243 and a half yards against San Francisco. Probably already happened by now, but it's not to me. And then Brock Purdy, I'm going to go. More than 244 and a half passing yards for Brock Purdy against the Minnesota Vikings. It's at your fingertips. Go to the App Store and download Prize Picks today. You can also go to prizepicks.com slash roar and use our promo code ROAR for a first deposit match up to $100. Daily fantasy sports made easy with our friends at Prize Picks. But they've led in like almost every one of the games. It's, it's a matter of just not having enough talent. They're banged up in the secondary. They missed both of their starting safeties against the goddamn Dolphins. I did a little bit of self-torture here. Um, Last night, I went back and looked at the Seattle tape. Not a lot gets talked about the defense right now. Question in here for, uh, let's see, who's this? Uh, RA4575. Okay, whoever you are. (laughs) You're asking a good question. I like this question, though. What about the defense? (laughs) What about the defense? Well, I'm glad you asked that, RA7574 bot. 
What about the defense? Well, I can go into all the stats and metrics, and I can bore you with uh, how many 100-yard games and, and this and that and yards per carry. Um, I would like to direct you to one particular metric that I actually had to dig myself for. This is the great thing about your friend, Mr. Ellis. I take all the league resources I have with these statistical little back-channel sites that we get now, and I piece together these little graphics, and they're so cute. And here's a little stat that will make your head spin, okay? And this is what prompted me to go find out how bad this Panthers defense is. PFF does a pretty good job grading this stuff out. Maybe not so much on the corners, although they've gotten better. But when you've got a bad tackling grade or a bad, you know, run defense grade, you probably earned it. Okay, so right now you look at PFF. Blocking and tackling. It's like your grandpa. It's blocking and tackling. Football's blocking and tackling, boy. Well, what do they rank in blocking? Well, pass blocking, they're 29th, grandpa. Daddy, they rank 31st in run blocking. What? (laughs) And daddy, they rank dead last in tackling. Actually, 31st, Daddy, 31st. You got to run me 20 laps, boy. Blocking and tackling. It is blocking and tackling, though. It is. Matt Rule will be proud of that. Run that DBO sign. Oh, that DBO sign. There'd be a hole in that thing. He, he would, oh, man. I never started 6-0 or 0-6. <laughs> I wasn't the problem. Oh, that guy's rent-free. Um, and I am to him. Uh, Panthers PFF grades are terrible in the department of, of blocking and tackling. Kind of important. Kind of important when all oh, oh, the focus goes on oh, Mingo can't separate. Marshall sucks. No, Hayden Hurst. And, look, I'm with you on that stuff too. Bryce is too small. Show your mouth about Bryce. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But Bryce is the outlier. But the, the real problem here is not Bryce Young. Bryce Young. <laughs> Let me just put it to you this way. All right. The 2023 Panthers. You can find this at one Panther place. They did a situational split of their run game by gap. A gap, B gap, middle. Uh, They are pretty good on the outside. Okay? Pretty good on the left side. That's the running game. Now, the run defense, I did the same thing. I turned back around and said, you know what? Let me see this. Let me see what's going on. The breakdown of Carolina's run defense directionally through six games. It's been a struggle, especially inside. So I took the, the PFF grade stuff, and then I read this. Okay? Carolina Panthers rank 32nd in the NFL in plays that are run between the A-gaps on either side of the center. 5.97 yards allowed per carry up the middle. 38 carries. It's the most kind of carries they're seeing, the highest quantity of carries they're seeing. Get this, though. Just to the right, you go one gap down, the old B-gap, right beside the right guard, 6.3 yards per carry, interior running, 28th in the league. Left tackle, you want to run off left tackle in the Carolina Panthers? You're going to get 7.5 yards per pop right now. That's on 24 touches. They stink everywhere in the run game. And yes, I like Brian Burns. And no, I don't think I need to make a case for him. But I'm not going to sit here and say Brian Burns is the reason their run defense sucks. You can say he doesn't deserve Nick Bosa money. Fair enough. That's, I'm not his agent. It's under DM I'm getting a little too much lately. Get off my ass about it. Jesus. 
look, Brian is trying to learn how to play this new system. He's trying to be the key cog in there with Shaq Thompson out. You've got the defensive play callers out with Von Bell uh, on the back end and with uh, obviously Xavier Woods out. You've got J.C. Horn out. Luvu, thankfully, he's been healthy, but he's missing a lot of tackles lately, and that's something that I wanted to look at on tape. Derek Brown's still healthy. Justin Houston has underwhelmed a little bit, but, I mean, once again, that's a late camp signing. What do you expect? I mean, there was never – he had good tape last year. So here's the thing. I went back last night, and just this is very quickly about the question about the defense. Kept hearing about tackling, tackling. The, the last two quarters of that Seattle game, I know they didn't give up 400 yards rushing. It was like 170. What an obs- obscene or anything, but it was the way it happened. And seeing some of the drop-off from even a Shaq Thompson, who some of y'all have wanted to cut for years. I don't know why, but you have. You, you realize Shaq's pretty goddamn good when he's not in there filling the gap and making sure that a two-yard run doesn't turn into a 14-yard run, which is exactly what happened in Seattle. It was the the fact that they were even close in that game. Between what happened in the offensive line, Andy Dalton somehow getting passes off for 300-plus yards, That one of the best Andy Dalton games you'll ever see, by the way. The 10 false starts, I think it was. And then go to the other side of the trenches. It was embarrassing. And all they had to do was go jumbo, Go two tight ends, a little bit of jumbo, 22 personnel. They put three tight ends like in the backfield at one point. Really like a little Philly formation. And they were going east, west, and then north. It's it. And there's nothing they could do about it. You had Barno in the game getting multiple snaps on the edge against this beefy front. It was the reverse of what Carolina did to Seattle. The Arby's package. Seattle was light in the box. They couldn't stop the run. Seattle's run defense was terrible last year, and Carolina goes into that game, and they cannot complement each other, and they still almost get the win, but they, they, they're they so close, and they're not. And, and to answer your question there, sir, the defense, the problem fundamentally with it right now is it's a new system. You saw something happen last week where Dante Jackson got uh, against the, the, the Dolphins with Tyreek Hill. That's a cover eight call. Okay, and it's it, there's a there's a signal there's a, a tag to it for the safety called tricks, and, and he has the opportunity in that particular coverage rotation to pull down a little bit, which gives the corner an understanding that hey, on a three by one, on two is backside because you know he's left-handed. There's going to be a free runner based on Dante Jackson's man press leverage. That's not the safety's fault. It's not. And if you, if you go look at any diagram of a Nick Saban defense or you go follow Cody Alexander or Syed Schemes or anybody who's got the playbooks, I've got the Fangio stuff from Honest NFL. It's right there in the playbook. There are strict rules you adhere to. And Dante, hey, you want to play press man against Tyreek Hill when that safety has tricks responsibility to that middle of the field area because there's a curl or there's a, um, there's a deep drive route coming over there? Over the hash, you're on your own, pal. Good luck. Defense is bad right now. That doesn't mean it can't be better. The run defense thing is, that's a hard one. It reminds me a lot of 2019. Remember when they moved a little bit of parts around and I think David 
Jordan Rodriguez wrote that David Tepper wanted to be a 3-4 defense, and so they kind of accommodated him with going like an odd front. But it, it's like, it looks like a 3-4 defense, but it's just, you're just shifting a few pieces around. It was such a bad idea. In that first preseason game against the Patriots, I saw guards getting to the second level, uh, their gaps, and Luke Keekley was getting swallowed and looked like he wanted to just end it all right there. That run defense was awful that year. Terrible. They brought in Gerald McCoy. They had Bruce Irvin. It felt like 2,000 all over again. Just these big names. I like Bruce. I like Gerald. But damn. Damn. And and this has a purpose, this structure of defense, but you don't have a nose tackle. Shai Tuttle's a good player. He's not a true nose. I don't think he really should or wants to be. He can move. He's a, he's a, he's a gap splitter, but I don't think he's a, a two-gap guy. Do you? That was Marquan McCall. I don't know what the hell happened there, but the whole point is until they fix what's broken, expect a lot of that. Expect teams to say, okay, you know what? Here's how you neutralize that team. Take Brian Burns out of the game. Well, how do you do that? Well, you line up in 22 personnel, you double team them on the runs, or you run backside because they don't believe Houston can give you the two-way go. Marcus Haynes is still not back. Louvu, they're not using as an edge presence as much as they were. He's having to fill in in the backer role because, quite frankly, Grugier Hill is a fine player, but he was one of those guys on that Seattle tape I looked at and said, this is why you're not a starter yet. I mean, I love the guy, but he made just so many bad plays in that game, as did all of them. I mean, Troy Hill whiffed on a couple tackles. Chen whiffed out on on the flat there. So the tackling is really bad, but it's more about guys getting way past the level they should. And it's not that Derek Brown stinks. It's not that Brian Burns stinks. It's the structure of the defense. And it's the fact that the personnel within that structure is not great. It's not terrible, and they're not deep. They have very little depth. Teams that go the distance, like the Panther team I told you about, what were they doing in 2002? They were building their defense deep. Al Wallace, Shane Burton, other guys that could come in, rotation. You see what Philly's doing right now. That's the golden ticket. I don't, you know, I don't care how many picks Jalen Hurts throws. You've got an eight-deep defensive line in this league, and at some point Slay and Bradbury will be gone, but you still got that line that can get pressure. you got Burns right now who can't do it alone. I mean, like I, again, do I think he's the best edge player in the league? No, I do not. Do I think he represents this franchise as well as a franchise edge player should and would? Yes, and I think you should pay him and keep him. And that leads me to another question we're getting here. What do you think Brian Burns would fetch in the trade market? That's from Jack. Hey, Jack, how you doing? Um, probably not what reportedly he was going to fetch last year, which was two first-rounders in the Rams. If that's on the table somewhere, you do listen to it. You do consider it. That's all honesty, and that's a compliment not only to uh, this player that I think very highly of, Brian Burns. And look, it's tough because you build a relationship with people, including his very friendly, kind brother that I've spent a lot of time with. And make no mistake, whatever you hear, he's a hell of a guy, and he's helped me out in a lot of ways, and I've helped him out. But, yeah, ball is ball. If there's two first-rounders sitting on there, then you got to analyze, all right, where are they coming from? What's the team? How good are they going to be? Where do those picks lie in that first round? Are they two future picks? Are they one this year? you got to have one this year. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen, though. Now, the, you get to that part of the season now. The, the trade deadline is coming up on October 31st. It's eight days away. So 
about the Ravens, maybe. You know, I'm just I'm speculating. I don't know anything. There's a team out there that's almost kind of there, kind of like the Panthers thought they were with Gilmore. And it's like, <laughs> okay. Is there a legitimate team out there that's just, oh, just, man, Brian Burns is not there, but here? How about Miami? Dolphins, they have anything to spend? I mean, he's down there from Florida. How about Jacksonville? They don't really need him, but, yeah, teams are going to probably make a call if they haven't already. I think Dante Jackson, they're trying to find a way to shop him. I think Chin, they would love to move him. Not because they don't like him, because this is no, nobody is here that drafted him, except for, well, well Scott wasn't even here. No, that was Marty Herney. <laughs> Jeremy Chin's a pro. He's a good dude, but they, they don't like him. They don't like the fit. He's playing nickel safety right now. Or he's playing uh, uh, Buffalo nickel, the, the big nickel position, which is, I, I don't know, you know, again, I, I'm friends with people that run PR with the team, so let me be careful how I say this, but Interesting timing with all of it right now. He's on the bench with an injury, and then there's reports from Jeremy Fowler that it's a hard push to get him traded. I mean, whatever. You can't pass a physical. You can't get traded. He's not on IR. But the trade deadline's in a week. Um, he's not under contract. It's Let's just say it's busy right now in Men's Street. It's busy. But not with some of the things maybe you think. All right, here's another question from Julius Pepperwood. What are your thoughts on perhaps uh, Tariq Cohen getting activated in one of these weeks? feel like it's worth a shot. Yeah, I'd love that. Uh, you, you get the redundancy with the coaches. They tell you every week, well, he's coming along. He's coming close. We've heard that about Corbett for a few weeks. I'm starting to worry about that a little bit. No reason to. Just yeah, naturally worried. We've heard that about Marquise Haynes. And now with Cohen, I, I hope he gets on the field. I think there's room for him. But what does Thomas Brown want? Again, this is part of being the OC that can call the place. How much oversight does Frank have on the the um, the lineup? The, I mean, this is the dynamic I want to know about. So we'll ask him. But uh, Tariq Cohen, hell of a story. All right, what do we got here? Uh, more questions. Um, hmm. Panthers Panthers Proud 95. Okay. What happened with the run game from last year? I know injuries are a part of it, but still, it's, I don't know. It's early, but the 2024 draft, who are some of your favorite wide receivers the Panthers could potentially get? Uh, my draft uh, analysis show is going to be later in the week, and I'm not even jerking your chain here. I've been actually looking into some of this stuff. Uh, you don't know I cover the Clemson Tigers down here, and it, that was a oof, rough one against Miami. But I've been kind of getting my notes together in anticipation of these questions. I mean, obviously, there's the usual suspects <laughs> led by Marvin Harrison Jr. As To your point about the run game, it's it's pretty much, to me, this simple. Wilkes came in. He saw Dante Foreman as, I've seen a guy like this before, kind of a little, a little bit like Jonathan Stewart maybe. Not, not even close, but <laughs> body type composition, contact balance. Hey, this offensive line. Hey, this offensive line hadn't missed a start together. They could work in harmony pretty well. Yeah. I like this Blackshear kid. He's got a pop to him. Hubbard, let's get him more involved. Wilkes came in and simplified what, like what John Fox did year one. All the bullshit that Storage was, Seifert was trying to do with the offense and this maniacal dog shit that would not work with the structure he had. Matt Rule was doing the same shit with platooning quarterbacks. He was out of his mind. Wilkes came in and he was the adult in the room and he said, let's simplify it, man. Let's, let's go 22 personnel. Let's let Ian earn his money. Let's let Trimble do a little blocking. We'll give him some targets, and they did. And they committed to it, and it didn't work every week. you got to remember, they went to Cincinnati and got boat raced. They got beaten pretty badly by Pittsburgh at home. They lost to Baltimore on the road. They lost to the Rams on the road. But when it was cooking, they, I mean, they put up a franchise record against Detroit. 
at home. Yeah, the running game has regressed. Um, it's getting better. I'm going to be real curious to see what the Miles Sanders role is moving forward. I honestly look, and this is not a personal shot, but this is just facts. He has not provided a lot of value to this point. Um, the play everybody's talking about where he didn't hit the hole. I looked at the replay on all 22, and it, it wasn't as bad as it looked. The fumbles are the thing that I can't handle if I'm a coach. I can't. Um, Eric uh, Mariano here. I believe that's your name. I'm sorry if I got it wrong. Realistically speaking, John, how do you see the next 11 games going? I get that uh, all we care about right now is Bryce Young progressing, but what's a successful second half of the season for you? As fans, what should get us excited on the other hand of what uh, we should get worried about long term? He's, he, wants, he, wants, he wants to feel what we all want to feel, what you felt for a minute at the end of last year. And, and you were told by many that you were foolish to think that way. And now people are coming back around like, I told you you should have tanked. You had to trade all that stuff to get Bryce Young. <laughs> it's never a good idea to just pull everybody out and start losing when you have a chance to save your jobs. These are grown-ass men, and they're working for a living. That argument for another day. Tank, thank you, thank you, you drive Shut up, nerd. <laughs> Um, not you, Billy. God, no, no. The other people that keep on my ass. What, what's a successful season to you? What is it to me? It, it's being relevant in November, in December, being relevant. That's what the, the gold standard has always been for me. I don't ask for much. I've always said as a fan, as an analyst, you get to December 1st and you're relevant, meaning you're in a playoff position somehow and your games mean something other than draft positioning or being a spoiler. That's value. That builds something. It means you're in the fucking hunt. It means you can smell it. Ah, you know, the analytics crowd will probably tell me that's uh, emotions. It's a game of emotions wrapped in a game of numbers and data, and it's a beautiful thing. And it, honestly, you know, that's not all analytics people, but some of them have told me just that late win bullshit doesn't work. You probably have data to show me that it doesn't. But I'll take the word of coaches and players who have gone through it and swear by it. So what's the goal here, Eric? The goal is to start winning games. Win a damn game, all right? We, we get it. It's been a slow start. My, in my personal opinion, I think Frank put a lot on Bryce early on because of his intellect, and he was probably wise to do that. But I think Bryce was probably needing a little more insulation which in the form of a good running game, in the form of a commitment to a running game, in the form of, uh, I would say, a little less on him at the line of scrimmage, he's gotten better as a result of that. And I think this Houston defense, there's an opportunity here to do some things that you haven't done yet this year. There's also an opportunity that you could watch C.J. Stroud light your defense on fire in your home stadium, and I want you to be careful not to let yourself go down a rabbit hole too deep on that one. react how you're going to react but it's a competitive environment and what this team needs is to make their fans not feel like the kids at the kid table on christmas the fans just want to win that's i mean honestly that's that's it the rest of it for me i'll look at the tape and i'll be they go oh and 17 whatever they'll figure out what they figure out or they won't but I, i think what's going to happen at some point is you're going to get some players back you're going to start seeing this team click a little bit or it's going to go down if this happens for two straight years as like the Philadelphia Eagles, remember that dream team they built? The dream team of coaches version of that. 
it's not it's it's not fathomable that they're going to keep losing that many games. But I'm telling you right now, they won't win another one. If they that tape that I saw against Seattle on both sides of the ball in the trenches, and it's not like Frank Reich didn't come from the world of trenches. He played in fucking Buffalo. He coached in fucking Indy. Yeah, I know the narrative on Frank is he's a shitty play caller and he rode somebody's coattails and this and that. I'm I, I didn't give a crap about Frank Reich playing for the Panthers. This is not an emotional reaction. I watched him coach those years in Indy, and I saw him beat some damn good teams. And I saw the guy that was hired here. If he couldn't score 17 points, it was an automatic L. It was an embarrassment. And if you think in any way, shape, or form, can't you question, by the way, the, the, the successful measurement of a season to me is getting into December and you're you're churning out some wins it's like Cam Newton's first year. Look, it, it didn't go well in the middle of the year. There was a, People forget there was a long losing streak, but Cam was still putting up numbers. Well, not every game he wasn't. No, Tennessee game, he got lit up. There were some games where it was bad. And there will be bad days again. This, this is not going to be easy. But, yeah, to me, a successful season is, is Thomas Brown gets this thing clicking. The operation runs smoother. Uh, this is new territory for Frank having to come in with a bunch of new staffers, although they're very good people and good coaches. Um, I can't define it in a certain win-loss column. Just get yourself in December and in, in this conference. I'm not saying playoffs are where you should be, but tell them that. They're competitors. Every game is a battle to get back into where you want to be, which is a race for postseason. Tell it to Adam Thielen. Think he's just here to pick up a check? These guys are hungry, man, and it sucks for some who had not been there before. It sucks, but uh, we'll see. Uh, uh, this is from Tepper's <laughs> Tepper's Fake Brass Balls. <laughs> Okay. I know him well. Uh, if the Panthers finish with the worst record in the NFL season, could we see Tepper fire some coaches on this all-star staff? I don't know. Uh, I, I, would, I wouldn't imagine that's a good idea. I think the worst record in the NFL could be a number of things. Uh, is it uh, unprecedented that a rookie quarterback had the worst record in the NFL? Not even lately, it's not unprecedented. Uh, there's been some dysfunctional situations with Jacksonville. That was Urban Meyer. You 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 earn everything in this league. You do. Now sometimes things are unfair. Hell, Steve Wilkes fucking knows that. Twice over, several times over. I think if you fire Frank Reich after this season, you, you're probably doing yourself a disservice. You spent a lot of time and effort going through this process. You were responsible for bringing this coach in. You were responsible for passing up on Wilkes and other hires potentially. And you were largely responsible for signing off on the hires of this coaching staff. So what all of a sudden made them suck when they were so well revered and so well respected along the way elsewhere? Sean Jefferson noted as Calvin Johnson's difference maker out of the words he, he the man uttered himself, the Hall of Famer, Sean Jefferson, my favorite position coach ever. And he means it. Deuce Staley, everywhere he's been, he's made an impact. Now, that's not to say you come in and you run the running back rotation here, and he's got a large hand in making sure that rotation's fresh and good, and it's on point with the communication. There's a lot that goes into everybody's job that I don't have time to explain, but you know it's more than just shouting at people. Dom Capers, he's not a figurehead, but he's not on the field coaching. It's not 1995 anymore. Jim Caldwell, good guy to have around. Josh McCown, Josh McCown is a good dude. Josh McCown has never coached in the league. He's played in it a long time. Uh, Billy and I seemed real excited when that hire was made. I'm not suggesting these guys deserve to be fired. Jairo Evero getting head coaching considerations. He takes the job here. 
It's a damn good staff. It's not just names. It's actual substance. These guys have accomplished things. They've been on championships. They bring a world of experience where you go through these moments. The hope is that their stabilizing force and their acumen helps this team that's patchwork at best right now raise their game up. There are no guarantees that Steve Wilkes would have rolled right in with Sam Darnold and and Dante Foreman again because Scott Fitter was going to run the show. So once again, who's to say that it would have been as successful as it was last year? I love Steve Wilkes. Should have been the damn head coach of this team at some point. I, I thought that in my heart, and I still do. And I think a lot of those veterans wanted him. They don't dislike Frank or the staff, but... One more question we had here. Is there a mutiny in the locker room heading our way? That's from Bobby. Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. No. And there really wasn't one with rule. And you got to give the players credit for that. Um, my sense is Brian's all right. I mean, Brian's, Brian wants to be paid. It's a long game for him. But I don't sense anybody's having bad, bad feelings right now over anything. It sucks to lose. They want to win. They've got to clean up some issues before they get to that point. Uh, here we go. Uh, but Chin looks so promising as a rookie. Where does he need to play to be utilized? Is he a linebacker? Or is he not fit the system? Um, I think he's a strong safety. I think he's a, for a to me is a, a guy that you bring down in the box like a, this, a cover three type of defense. Hello, Pete Carroll. If you're into that type of coverage scheme structure, which is not quarters, that's a different schematic element. It's it's just not a fit, and I I could sense this from training camp when he was being platooned as this big nickel piece. And I kept saying to myself, well, wait a minute, this is not going to work when they've got 11 personnel in the field. His snap share is going to go down. You've got Bell and, and Woods out there. And we talked about this. I said it many times on Twitter. It's like, just keep an eye on Chin. I, I really think they would like to mutually part ways at this point. No animosity. That's just my feeling because it would be the best thing for Jeremy, the best thing for the team. They're not going to utilize him. I, it's, he's a hard one to fit. There are deficiencies in his coverage, uh, his coverage game. He, he's he's just not quite the threshold of what Thomas Davis was in terms of he can make the full transition. You're wasting too much of the athleticism, yet the athleticism is not good enough to hold up in coverage in the back end. So somebody that's that athletic, we said that about Isaiah Simmons too, and, and so somebody's going to find a way to utilize him. There are some guys that come to this league and you get that brand on you. And you got to find somebody who really gives a shit to make you special to tune the defense around you. And I don't know if Chin's viewed in, in league circles as quite that special. I, I think the world of him, I love his pedigree. I love the fact that Steve Atwater is his uncle. And I, I really felt he'd be one of the guys that would be part of the core moving forward. But this is another lesson that I'll leave you with here. The, the, the part you might be blindsided by here, you thought maybe Frank and staff would come in here and Bryce would have a couple good games. They'd be two and three, three and two, and then you'd start to see the young guys that were holdovers from Matt Rule's regime light up. There was always, I think, a, 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 a plan with this GM. You know how aggressive he is. And with obviously Frank needing to stock the cupboards to his own liking, these coaches are very specific on the type of guys they need and want. And this was very natural to me to know that trade deadline would come around and the Panthers would probably be in the business of selling. Now, there's been a conversation. I'm getting this question a lot about wide receivers. I don't know. I can't get any sourcing on it. There, there seems to be 
a lot of conversation chirping around. I'm not saying there's leaks or anything. I haven't heard any leaks. I'm just minding my business. I think it'd be a mistake. And, and unless it's somebody really damn good. Here, let me simplify this for you. Here's how much I think of these players and how I could give a shit about a first-round pick, all right? Jamar Chase, you want to come here? I'll give you two of them. <laughs> Justin Jefferson, come on. Devontae Adams even, come on. Maybe T. Higgins. That's about it. Paris Campbell, Jerry J- ah. Because what's what do you I mean, what's this what are you what are you getting out of that? What what's the end game there? You're getting a number three, solid number three. And Renfro, look, I've heard that, but Thielen's playing the, the Y position right now. He's playing it very well. It's it's redundancy. I don't know. I I would I would probably take one of those three very talented generational wide receivers if somebody was dumb enough to trade one. Marquise Brown, I, again, I don't know. I don't know if I'd give up a first round for Marquise Brown or a second rounder. But then again, I'm not a draft nick like some people. I, I'm, I'm not Scott. I'm not reckless, but I'm not going to sit here and wring my hands over draft picks getting traded. I'm just not going to do it. But I certainly appreciate the question. As always, the questions are good. So you got a couple more here. Um, why do you think the Panthers would? Why do you think the Panthers would be right now about a hot take? Okay, why do you think Panthers fans would rather be right about a hot take than the team be good? Like they root for the team to be bad so they can play. They told you so. It seems like an issue. That's from Dandy Randy. <laughs> I didn't know what he was getting. Dandy Randy's basically saying, you guys are sickos, and the losing has turned you into ultimate sickos, and you want to lose more than you want to win, so you can tell John Ellis and company, I told you we were going to suck again. <laughs> you don't like that bad, are you? Uh, it's about it uh, for the questions today. We'll be back with more podcasting fun later this week. Uh, I want to remind you, go to pricepicks.com, sign up today, and you can get in on all the action there. Follow the uh my entries tab. You can put your entries in today for Monday Night Football. Never too late to sign up. They got basketball going on NBA. I'm seeing some games right now. And tonight I'm going to pick Kirk Cousins to go um, under 243 and a half yards. And I'm going to go with my friend Brock Purdy to go over 244.5 yards. You can do the same. Go to prizepicks.com today. Sign up using the code ROAR and get some money off on that initial purchase. Prizepicks.com. For Billy Marshall, I'm John Ellis. This is fun. A little bit loosey-goosey, but it'll get serious. We get fine-tuned into the week here and start getting down to the nitty-gritties. We take a look at what's going on with your Panthers. Just remember, I don't have all the answers. I just like to have a little fun with you. Keep pounding. You're 0-6. Here comes Houston. No one's going to feel sorry for you. Hopefully they'll get a win. All it takes is one of these damn things. I've seen it too many times. The minute I start feeling bad about this, like I did pretty soon in the Matt Rule regime, I will be the first to let you know. You will always get that from me. I'm not there yet. I haven't, I haven't even wavered yet. It's going to be okay. You're going to be okay! <laughs> Have a good night. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.